0: The first reading today is from Matthew chapter 27. Please read along with me. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, After Jesus' resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God.
1: The second reading is from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, beginning at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for my trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open, against, they open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks out to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet, all my bones are on display people stare and gloat over me they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment but you Lord do not be far from me you are my strength come quickly to help me yet you brought me out of the womb you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast from birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb you have been my God this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God
2: Well, good morning. I'm Stuart Holman, and uh, I want to uh, take this time now to look at God's Word together. Please open your Bibles uh, at Matthew 27. That was the first of those two passages that were read to us. As you're turning to Matthew 27, let me pray, asking that God would be the one who speaks with us this morning. God and Father, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would take your Word to each of our hearts. Help us afresh grasp this message of the sacrifice of your Son and our great redemption that follows. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to be together today on this Good Friday morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, This is a day of the year when we especially reflect on the death of Jesus Christ. Together, we've set aside this time to ponder the weight And the significance of this historical event, that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on or about the 14th of Nisan, the traditional first month of the Jewish calendar, that's not disputed by any serious historian, whether they're Christian or not. We have excellent evidence outside the Bible, as well as the eyewitness uh, events included in the Bible. That it happened is not in dispute. But what it meant and what it triggered And what it does for us today, that requires our further reflection. We'll be focusing, as I say, on Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And we are looking there at eyewitness accounts of what happened that day on the cross. We'll also be referring to Psalm 22, uh, penned centuries before. My aim here really is just to show you around the text so that you will want to come back and revisit the details again for yourself soon. Hopefully you've got your Bible now and you can follow along, or perhaps you can just follow along on the screen. So Matthew 27, beginning at verse 27. Previously, Pontius Pilate has condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion, and in his place, Jesus Barabbas, has been set free. The great Easter scandal begins with the innocent suffering while the guilty go free so beginning in our passage today we notice that jesus is painted as a king Uh, he's given a scarlet robe a crown of thorns the soldiers bow down before him in homage they acclaim him sarcastically the king of the jews in fact Pilate ensures that the charge sheet nailed to the cross above jesus head declares Jesus is the king of the Jews. It's like a billboard saying, this is what happens to anyone who dares challenge Rome. The Jews are a defeated people subject to Rome. Their king is so discredited, he's hung on a cross. Even the two rebels alongside him paint Jesus as a king. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. And there's more too to the identity of Jesus. Notice the title, Son of God. Two rebels, as well as the Jewish leaders, refer to him as such, even though they're really just referring to his claim. Normally, we think of that as, uh, you know, son of God, meaning, you know, you're divine. But in first century Judaism, this was a really a royal claim, a claim to be king. All the descendants of King David, all the kings of Israel were viewed as sons of God. Solomon was adopted as God's son, 2 Samuel 7. Uh, Psalm 2 is built around exactly the same idea. Son of God means Messiah King, but now not just any king, the promised Messiah King, the one to deliver Israel from Rome and to rule God's kingdom forever. And here he is, nailed to a cross, soon to die. Matthew's account is brutally detailed, isn't it? He's spat upon, he's stripped bare, he's hit, he's battered, he's mocked. The King of Israel, the Son of God, has become a joke, a defenseless, abused joke. And that's the key, that it is the Son of God subjected to this execution that unlocks everything else in this Easter scandal. And so Matthew's Gospel is heavily layered with irony. All the abuse is meant to discredit Jesus, But it turns out, in Jesus' resurrection, all of these taunts are shown to be true. God's temple has been destroyed and rebuilt in three days in Jesus' body. Jesus truly is the Son of God, verse 40. He actually does save others, verse 42. He is the King and God has rescued and vindicated His true Son. Even more than the irony, though, there's something else here. Matthew's recorded all of these gruesome details of the cross and remembered Psalm 22, which we read also this morning. Psalm 22 is set a thousand years before the time of Jesus when another great king of the Jews was suffering at the hands of those who should have embraced him. King David cries out to God for his deliverance as his frenemies betrayed him and cast lots for his clothes. He's abandoned to God because no one else wants him. And Jesus, echoing David, in ways that we can only begin to fathom, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These horrendous events have been foreshadowed for centuries. God's wrath is exhausted on his Son, who willingly dies in our place. So finally, verse 50, Jesus dies. And then following that, in verses 51 through 53, very strangely, Matthew describes some apocalyptic events happening across Jerusalem. And then snap verse 54, we're back with the Roman centurion who concludes the account with the affirmation that surely Jesus was the Son of God. So Jesus, God's Messiah King and actually the Son of God is brutally mocked and executed. Why? Well, remembering back to Barabbas earlier in chapter 27 because Jesus the innocent is here in place Of the guilty. There's been a switch, a trade. Jesus is executed while the guilty go free. And if we're left wondering, well, why that strange insertion of those verses 51 through 53? What's going on there? Matthew is reporting some astounding events, but there's no commentary, there's no explanation. These things happened, but why? What's the point? Well, Matthew cuts to these strange events immediately after Jesus dies. Because he wants us to know that Jesus' death is effective. It does something. It has power. His is not a random suffering or a random injustice. We know in this broken and busted up world, there are many innocents who suffer and die. While the guilty walk free, maybe in Sydney, we tend to avert our eyes from this reality, a little bit like the Roman citizens who recoiled at the brutality of the government's practice of crucifixion. Yes, there are many innocents who suffer while the guilty go free. Such injustice seems to be endemic to our world. But that's not Matthew's point at all. Jesus is not relatively innocent, as so many human beings are. Jesus is absolutely innocent, perfectly Without any sin or guilt before God, as only the true Son of God is, as only God himself is. More than being sinless, Matthew reminds us too, Jesus is God's Messiah, the true King of his people. The great Easter scandal is that it is this person suffering on the cross at the hands of both God and humanity. That's why his suffering and his death have power. Power to change the destiny of the guilty. Because the power of Jesus' death, says Matthew in these verses 51 to 53, because of the power of his death, strange events happened, apocalyptic events, the end of the world as we know it kind of events. They happened to explain the effect of, of Jesus' death. When when you throw a stone into a still pond of water, inevitably there is a splash and waves and ripples follow on. Jesus' death is a cause that has effects, a rock that makes waves in time and space, in reality, in fact, even today. And so what has all of this achieved? In verse 51, at the moment of Jesus' death, the great temple curtain of Jerusalem is torn in two. This, this was the curtain that separated the most holy place from the ordinary world of sin and sacrifice and priests. The barrier that protected people from the searching holiness of God, that protected them from wrath and judgment, that kept, kept us safe at a distance. That barrier was torn from top to bottom, from God's side down to the earth. And it's been torn down because Jesus has taken the consequences of our sin upon himself at the cross. That price has been paid and so we are safe. As the book of Hebrews tells us, we now have open access to God. The curtain is torn and Jesus' death did that. What else happened? Well, verses 52 and 53, sometime soon after Jesus' resurrection, there's an earthquake, rocks are split in two, the tombs break open and some dead people are raised to life. It's like the stuff of horror movies, isn't it? Except that they're they're not the evil dead, they're the righteous dead who are seen. The holy people go into the holy city, Jerusalem, and presumably they're wandering around and they're visible to everybody. They are a sign And if God wanted to grab my attention, I think that would probably do it. But what does the sign mean? God is saying that with Jesus' death, death itself is broken open. There is a way through it, a life beyond. The sign means Jesus' resurrection from the dead promises the resurrection of all who have been forgiven their sins. These strange events in verses 51 through 53 tell us the whole world has changed. Resurrection is real and life wins. By the way, I have no idea what happened next to those resurrected people who were roaming the streets of Jerusalem in those days after Jesus' resurrection. Their purpose was to be a sign, uh, an explanatory miracle, I'm guessing theirs was a temporary resurrection. Presumably, afterwards, they returned to their tombs to wait the final resurrection. What is absolutely clear here, however, is that these signs are recorded by Matthew right after Jesus' death to tell us what it has achieved, what it's actually done, That's the rock thrown into the water and now the waves and the ripples are rolling and radiating outwards from that. The whole world order changed that day. Everything's different. The ripples in space and time roll on even to today such that our lives are changed too. Our destiny is changed because of the death of Jesus. We can have open access to God. The temple curtain is torn. Death is busted right open. And Jesus' resurrection paves the way for our resurrection. And I'm wondering on this day whether you would like to be included in that arrangement. This whole world has changed, but are you part of that change? The reason that Jesus willingly embraced his death is so that we too would be included in his resurrection. You see, only the death of a perfectly innocent Messiah King would ever be sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world. Only God's Son could exhaust the full extent of God's rightful fury at our sin. The great Easter scandal is that Jesus thought so much of you and I that he went through it all for us. To be spiritually included with Jesus in his death so that we're also included in his resurrection, we simply need to ask. The powerful waves resulting from that scandalous Friday execution still have the effect of setting free the dead. Jesus rules now over life and death, so we ask him, Jesus, when you take up your kingly rule, please remember me. I abandon my old life for a new start with you. Good Friday reveals a scandal of infinite proportions. God's Son, our King, suffers for the sin of the world. His death is effective such that it changes everything. Because the innocent suffered, the guilty walk free into eternal life. Will you please pray with me? Our great God and Father, thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us. Thank you that your Son, our King, died in our place. And thank you that his willing obedience has power, that it changes things. In fact, it has changed our destiny forever. Please include us in your kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.